With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Tripe Supper, our Middlesbrough FC podcast here at Teesside Live. It's myself, Dom Shaw, and Anthony Vickers today. Philip Talentay is off. You were off at the weekend, Vic, and dragged Gallivant into Paris. I was indeed, yeah. Make the most of the international break. Absolutely. Get yourself over there, see some tourist sites, get involved in riots. <laughs> a typically French experience. I've done now this international break, and it has, it has felt like a drag. It's felt like a long, longer break than usual, I think, this time. Uh, yeah, possibly, and also we don't play till Sunday as well, which doesn't help. Which means we haven't been able to turn our attention to Hull till, until Wednesday, which always makes the week a little bit longer. Um, we're going to look ahead to that whole game, uh, obviously, in, in today's tripe, in this week's tripe. And we're also going to talk about George Friend's interview with, uh, with, with Vic over the, over the international break. Vic went over to Rockcliffe and had a sit down with Boris Skipper. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about villains. It, it seems fitting, given that Martin Braithwaite scored for Denmark uh, on, on Monday. And one of our most read pieces over the international break was, was Christian Zieger's interview that, that emerged. I think, uh, I think the mail had been over to speak to him. They're, they're two villains that spring to mind. Gaston is the third. What, what, makes, what makes a villain, Vic? Uh, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but, but generally uh, uh, betrayal in football comes in a couple of different guises. One is leaving for a, a better club and saying that's why you're going uh, and another is possibly being disruptive and uh, either in the dressing room or or within the, the town and, and uh, generally upsetting the apple cart and doing it without you know any any uh, mitigation and uh, and then disappearing without so much as a buy or leave uh, there's a lot of people have fitted into those categories but sometimes what you've done on the pitch gives you a free pass. Uh, I think Braithwaite possibly, uh, most people will probably admit he's been the, he was the best player technically in while he's been here and everyone knows there's a player in there but he never, he never put a shift in and so there's, there's very little support for him in any shape or form. Uh, Gaston Ramirez, uh, for the first three or four months he was here, he was brilliant and so he's a kind of divisive figure. So whenever we write about him, there'll be a lot of people clicking on because they want to see that he's got his comeuppance and they hope it's bad news. But there's plenty of other people will turn around and say, you know, he's never been replaced, he was brilliant. Uh, Most people who are (coughs) reading between the lines will know that during that relegation season, he was one of the biggest factors in the fractures that appeared in the dressing room. And anyone that saw his performance on the pitch will realise not only was he not putting in a shift, but very often he was actively undermining the efforts of the rest of the team. You, you touched on it there about the, the fans wanting to read about certain players, certain figures. I often see in Gazette Borough's mentions um, fans moaning about us talking about past players. The problem we have is 
uh, a lot of articles about past players are among our most read. So therefore, we're, we're, we're going to do them because from our point of view, there's, there's clearly an interest there. But some players do spark an interest and some don't. So, for example, since he's left, um, if, if we were to do something on, on Ben Gibson, say, it wouldn't get as much reaction as what a piece on Martin Braithwaite would. And I think it's because with Gibson... A, probably fans are able to keep a closer track on what he's doing. And B, you know what you see is what you get with Gibson. Um, you know, no one has yeah. any uh, kind of axe to grind. And also, I don't think anyone blamed him when he left. No, it no, was, no, it no, was no, a smooth, smooth exit. Whereas uh, with Braithwaite... People accepted see, it was good for all parties. We see with, with Braithwaite and with Ramirez, not so much recently, because obviously there hasn't been... Uh, it, 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 it's, not as, as, it's not as recent. But with Braithwaite... There is still an interest there in reading how yeah. he's doing or, or, or how he's faring, how things are going for him in Spain. I think one of the issues is that the, the players that still have that traction after they leave are the players who you could say were divisive at the time. And that means that people have kind of nailed their colours to the mast on a player, whether he's a goodie or a baddie, uh, whether he should be booed or, or, or whether you know, you're going to defend him. So those arguments just immediately get picked back up again. Uh, I mean, there's another one that we haven't mentioned, it's probably not a villain, but gets a lot of traction, is Martin Deroon. Because people used to argue about whether he was uh, the best best midfielder in the club or whether he was a complete and utter waste of space. And we have the same argument on our desk. And it probably won't, won't start, it won't start today because <laughs> Phil's not here. <laughs> but, you know, people like that, if, if there is someone around uh, that people are willing to take a position, then that's, that continues even after they've left. And Christian's eager... Um, going back to that, uh, obviously we, we, the interview last week in which he was saying he he's, he, he regretted the move. Even twenty odd years on or whatever it is, you know what we're like as football fans. It, it, you, you like to read that, don't you? And think, well, I, I told you so. I could have told you that at the time. Yeah. And, and to be fair with Ziga, we do read read it on a fairly regular basis because whenever he's interviewed, he, he puts his hand up because his move to Liverpool was a disaster. Uh, he got injured, he, he lost his place in the team, he lost his way in his career and that was pretty much it really. When at Borough he was flying, he was a hero and he was in a position where probably if he'd have stayed he would have been the main man in the team for two, three, four years to come. Do any other villains spring to mind? Baddies? Uh, yeah, and a lot, of it's, a lot of it's unfair. I mean, there are people who get booed no matter what the, the circumstances. I mean... Uh, poor Nick Barnby got absolutely pilloried for years and years after he left based on flimsy tittle-tattle that had no, no basis in truth whatsoever. But it becomes like a terrace. Uh, a, a, it's almost like pantomime booing, isn't it? And, and people grow up thinking, well, what are they booing Nicky Barnby for? And they get told. And then they start joining it as well with some unsavoury songs. And then you've got people like, I mean, uh, Peter Beagree, for instance, has been booed now for 30 years and he gets booed by people who weren't even born when he committed his great act of treason uh, obviously he he left in 1986 uh, at a time when uh, he was offered a, a way out several others left at the same time Don O'Riordan but because he was a local lad he was seen as the, the rat off the sinking ship uh, I don't think the rest of the players felt that uh, very few of the others got any significant offers and I don't think anyone blamed him he was recently married I think he just you know he had he had bills to pay just like everyone else 
And uh, there was certainly no animosity because it was only a couple of months later that Tony Mowbray was the best man at his wedding. So uh, I don't think there was any, anything there of lasting significance within the, the group. But for the fans that were there at the time, when everyone was pulling together, the town and the team, uh, and everyone was making amazing sacrifices to keep the club alive, he made a lucrative move and got out. So that, that is a kind of lasting stain on his reputation. And he, he's been booed now through uh, his entire career. Uh, he's been vilified every time he comes on the, this, the, the TV. I know people who still growl and swear at him whenever he pops up on the TV, although obviously that's not the case now because of his indiscretions in his private life. The, the, it, and I don't mean this um, to, to refer just to Borough, but I, I, when, when former players go back to play a club, it's hard to gauge what sort of reaction they're going to get, isn't it? I mean, Stewie, for example, when Borough played at Blackburn earlier this season, was, was absolutely thrilled to get the response he yeah. got, so much so he, he contacted uh, Phil the, the next day and, and thanked Borough fans. For, for, for players, the likes of Stewie, it'll mean a lot because obviously the, the fans that are, uh, that are going to watch are those of his grew up with, they're his mates, yeah. some of them, they, you know, he's from the area. Will, will others be bothered? Uh, I think if you're from the town or, or if it's your club or if you've been there a long time, I think then potentially those things sting. I think generally most players, it's par for the course, especially these days when you have so much churn at clubs and people only stay for a year or two years at tops and then they move on. Uh, and I think fans themselves have, have grown more used to people moving on quickly. And the speculation starts. People arrive and they play six months and then the speculation always already starts about where they're going in the summer. So I, I think people, fans in general, accept it more. Uh, you can never tell how any set of fans is going to react to someone. Because just two players who spring to mind, James Morrison comes back and, and gets a decent reception. And when Lee Catamall came back, his chant was reworded. Yeah, but, but Lee Catamall joined Sunderland, so that was his... Not from Borough, though. I'm, I'm, you know, this was before he'd, before he'd joined Sunderland, wasn't it? So it is hard to gauge. Yeah. I don't think James Morrison... I mean, he was a fringe player at the time. I don't think... It didn't, it didn't rankle so much because, obviously, there was a time when Borough were replacing people who left with, with global superstars. I think it, it, it can depend on which club you go to. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of movement between, say, Arsenal and Spurs in recent years. And anyone that crosses that divide seems to get absolutely uh, pelters. Whereas Liverpool, Everton, there seems to be quite a lot of movement and they don't have the animosity, maybe because there's always somebody in that household who's a blue or a red and, and the divide, you know, it's supposedly a friendly divide, but that doesn't seem to carry with it the vitriol that some particular movements do. From villains to heroes... Um, you went over to Rockcliffe last week and spoke to George Friend for a different sort of interview. You were talking to him about um, media coverage, what he makes of media coverage, what players make of media coverage, player ratings, uh, post-match interviews, um, whether they read match reports, etc. It, it, it was interesting stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Obviously for us, but I think it was interesting for fans as well, from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think so. And, and not just fans of Borough. I, I think it, that... I think he touched on a lot of issues that would be pertinent to most clubs. Uh, and, you know, obviously we can see through our analytics 
how many people are reading it, who's reading it, and through social you can see who's sharing it. And I, I found it really interesting that it was liked and shared by a lot of reporters from other clubs, you know, people we know who do the same job. Uh, I found that quite interesting because you could read it in one way as being highly critical of, of the press. I mean, he, he obviously pointed out that the match ratings very hard to do. You can't watch the, the, the full 90 minutes. You don't know what instructions players are working to. You don't know if they're carrying an injury. And these are all, these are all things that could be read as being critical of the press. Although he stressed he appreciated the problems, you can't possibly know those things because those things are, uh, are deliberately withheld from the press. Uh, but no, I don't think anyone that took it like that. I think they, most people took it as a really interesting contribution to what, what can be a, com you know, a, a complicated debate about how football is covered. And it's nice to hear players giving their side of it and it was a it was a really considered uh, uh, analysis by him. Obviously, it helps that he's done a journalism degree. He he understands the nuts and bolts of our job. Uh, he appreciates where our job can be quite hard. A, a lot of fans don't. They think we just turn up and uh, watch the game and then just talk nonsense. But that actually there are elements to it which are you know involve keeping a lot of balls in the air. And I think he. He was interested in what we do, and that's, that's in itself is useful in any kind of debate. So often we ask footballers questions and they give us the answer they think that we want or the answer that they think will play best with the, the audience, and sometimes it's a whole load of cliches sewn together. But it's not very often that players ask us questions, and it, it was interesting the way that the discussion evolved because it wasn't just questions it was a genuine discussion he was asking me questions as well which uh, it maybe would have made a really interesting podcast because it was a, a, a two-way conversation it was very very interesting stuff and I would urge anyone that hasn't read it to actually go and have a look go and have a look at it well, was there any suggestions from George about what he wants to do when he's finished whether he still wants to go in the media or whether well he he, go into coaching? he, he wasn't committing himself he, he said that there are openings there it's a potentially lucrative career uh, he did say that it's probably easier to get into if you have a higher profile if you've been in Premier League and you're, you're a household name because that immediately gives you traction and a potential audience uh, although he did say that there were there were openings for people who've played like him most of their career in the championship uh, he said he, he'd also taken his badges uh, as well which I didn't I wasn't aware of or he's starting to take his badges. And uh, he said he, he, he does it partly because he's interested in all the aspects of, around his job, but also he, he's always been someone that likes to keep his options open. So you could see George progressing down either road, to be honest. And I think he's got the, the intelligence and drive to, to make a success of, of either, should he choose. You're on ratings on Sunday, 8 out of 10. George? Absolutely. Oh, already. <laughs> oh, well, did on. he say he doesn't read it? He says he doesn't read it. Uh, we, we laughed a few times because he referred to a few pieces that I'd written over the years, which he's obviously had read. Uh, he says his mum reads absolutely everything. And I know, for instance, that his mum... I mean, I've met her. I wonder whether she listens to I, I've met his mum and dad, so she certainly used to read my blog every day 
and she, she's told me that so uh, I think she does read pretty much everything mainstream. I can't see her going into onto forums and stuff like that because that's quite a niche market. There was a nice moment last year. Uh, it was read in a way when, when George had scored. Uh, had he scored the only goal? Borough won 1-0, didn't the Late, scrappy late goal. Christmas time it was, yeah, because me and Phil got the train. And we were, we were waiting there down in... It wasn't the tunnel. It was kind of almost near the exit to the stadium, really, uh, to, to get a player. Um, and the, the players were coming through and, and as we were waiting to speak to a player, I can't remember who it was who we spoke to after the game, the other players were, were going past yeah, and going out to the coach and George's family must have been there um, and George's dad was there and, and they were chatting and Pulis comes round and stops and starts talking to him and they're talking about life on the farm and, and before Pulis left he, he said to him and it was kind of a real serious moment, he said I, I, want, I just want you to know that your son's a, a real credit to you. And George was stood there with them. And his dad looked proud as punch, really did. Um, and, and, you know, Pulis used to speak highly of George on and off the record, didn't he? Um, I'm sure he wouldn't be the only Borough manager who'd, who'd say that if, if given the opportunity. He's been a superb servant, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think he's diligent about every aspect of the job. And we see that in the way that he, he deals with the press, I think. Anyone that's ever been to like a, a community event where he's there, he's he'll talk with anyone, and he, you know he'll he'll do the job properly, and he engages with people, and he, he he genuinely has an interest in people, and that comes through in almost all his dealings. I think he's got uh, good emotional intelligence. I, I think he'd make a, I think he'd make a good manager. Well, there you go. Three, four years down the line, we'll be revisiting this podcast yeah. and saying how we predicted it. He was, um, I wasn't there, I couldn't make it because I was away, but he was a guest at the recent uh, Gazette Sports he Awards. He yeah. spoke there and I, I heard that he spoke excellently on stage there. Yeah, he was superb. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, he was on our table and beforehand he was talking to, we had a couple of guests on the table who were from, from a local rugby club. And obviously he started as a... As a, a one of which works, at, one of whom works at our place and... and got the Insta pick that I was I, I nailed on was going to appear on Insta yeah. and Facebook the profile so, uh, I mean, as a former rugby player he, he was really keen to talk to them and what was interesting was that, you know he, he sat down on the table and he didn't do that thing like I'm the big I am you come and talk to me he actively went around the table to find out who everyone was and when he found these lads from, the, from local rugby he was talking to them what position do you play how come you're injured blah 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 and before you knew it, he'd agreed to play for them once his borough career was over to turn out as a, a guest appearance for, uh, I think it was Darlington. So, uh, And then he, he, he presented a, an award, and before he did, he, he made a, a really generous speech about the importance of, of local sport. And he, he realises that football is a juggernaut, a cultural juggernaut and a financial juggernaut, and that that contributes to other sports being squeezed out both in terms of coverage and resources. And, the, you know, he said a lot of nice things about not just sports, uh, sports people and their dedication and their discipline, but also to the people who run the clubs and who do and a, long, a lot of hours unpaid uh, to make sure that, you know, the grass is cut and the kits are, are washed and all the equipment's there and book the minibuses and pay the refs and all this sort of thing. So he clearly understands grassroots sport and he clearly cares about it. So I mean, that's just another aspect of him being a general, all-round nice bloke. 
Looking ahead to Sunday then, um, to stay on the George friend trend, you would think he'd be in the team. Uh, I thought he was very good at QPR in his first game back. He's had two weeks on the training ground, absolutely nothing to suggest that he's, he's had any ill effects from that first game back. Um, the timing of the break was ideal really for the likes of Friend and Fletcher yeah. who, who we know came back probably a little bit ahead of schedule yeah, but were willing to themselves. put themselves on the line um, no sign that no, no, nothing to suggest Darren Randolph's had any reoccurrence of the injury away with Ireland he obviously only played in the, the game against Denmark he was left out of the New Zealand game which was very kind of Mick um, I, I wouldn't be too surprised to see an unchanged team really given how Woodgate given how pleased Woodgate was with the performance at QPR. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, the last three or four games, they've, they've bedded it in a new shape, but it was still very much patched up in some areas in, in terms of the, the playing personnel. Uh, getting this, those three first-teamers back for the QPR match was a big boost, and then coming through unscathed was a big boost. And I think scoring two goals as well would be a, a great boost for confidence because... While the team has, has been more solid uh, and they've created chances, you know, they haven't been winning games. And they haven't been winning games primarily because they haven't been scoring goals. And we know it's been, that's been a huge problem. Missed sitters at Huddersfield, uh, missed sitters against West Brom, uh, uh, early doors against Derby, potentially a match-changing moment and, and, and Brit missed. So getting those goals, I think, would be a, a, a real boost. And I think... The team know they can play well, and we've seen it in flashes, but not, it hasn't been sustained. And the key to salvaging this season and, and, and sparking an upturn is doing that in a sustained period and actually scoring when they're on top. Well, well on the subject of goals, I think you've said this week that Jared Bowen and Camille Grisicki have scored more between them than Borough this yeah, season. Yeah, they've got 14 between them. I was talking to, to Phil Buckingham, who covers Hull for, for Hull Live, and he said that they are the two that make Hull tick. Um, they, they play on the counter away from home. They won 3-0 at Fulham and had 25% of possession, so they're obviously happy to let the home team have plenty of the ball. I, I mean, I'm surprised Bowen's still there, really, given how, yeah. how, how impressive he was last year. Phil, this time last year, Hull were, were in the relegation zone. I think they were bottom at the start of November, still in the relegation zone at the start of December. Um, they've, they've, Phil Buckingham said that they've, they've picked up 69 points from the last 46 games. He recently did like a, a, a you know a 46 yeah. game season. Um, I mean, it was remarkable really to think, given the start they had, they were in the playoff mix come the end of the season. When they came to Borough in April, they were only a point behind yeah. Borough before the game. And and they've 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 kept that momentum going to a to a to a relative standard. I know they lost against West Brom, but they beat Derby, Forest, and and Fulham before that, which is a decent stint. Um, I know Bernie said this week that they know Real Madrid, which obviously they are, but they are a handy side, aren't yeah, they? It's not going I to be easy. They've, on they've got a good away record as well, which feeds into obviously what you were saying there about them willing to to concede possession and let the other team play. And we know that uh, Bowen and Grisicki both. Uh, are good on the break, both comfortable on either flank, and that's their outball, and that's that's obviously something that we'll have to watch against. Uh, playing with wing backs might help contain that a bit, so maybe that suits Borough in some ways. Uh, if we can if we can block up the flanks and push it into the middle and make it more congested, maybe that helps Borough deny deny hold the space they like to play in. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to. Borough imposing themselves, you know, we shouldn't be too worried about 
what Hull are going to do. I think it's about starting uh, with, with tempo and intent and grabbing control of the game and setting the tone of the game and hopefully scoring early. The longer it goes on without a goal, we know the more, more tetchy the crowd get, uh, the more nervous the players get. And uh, it, it also gives the opposition the, the hope that they can get a goal and suddenly they're, they're in it. So let's go out there, grab the game by the jugular, uh, get an early goal and set up two home, you know, back-to-back home wins. Yeah, just finally, I know football demands us only take one game at a time, but there'll be a new face in town next Wednesday because Barnsley have today confirmed the appointment of Gerald Struber. Um, it's, it's, it's an outside-the-box appointment, but then that's what Barnsley have done over the last yeah. few seasons. And I guess they'll look at the appointment of Stendhal and how that worked. You know, they beat Fulham at the start of the season and you'd have probably, given the momentum and, and the way they finished last season, you'd have probably tipped them for a, to be down there fighting, but, yeah. but potentially to survive. It, it just hasn't worked for them since. That, that yeah. Fulham win is their only win of the season. Yeah, and they did sell their, their main striker in uh, Kiefer Moore. So, uh, it's a big step up. Well, obviously, you know, if you come up with momentum, suddenly you can be right up there and, and challenging. And we've seen that in recent years. And Sheffield United came up and went straight through. Although they're probably a different different case. Uh, we, we don't know what changes the new manager will make, what shape he's going to play. Uh, presumably, he will. some of the backroom staff there, are, uh, I think, are, are still left over from Stendhal. They're, they're German, so maybe there's a, a cultural fit there. But again, like, like with Hull, I mean, we shouldn't be too worried about that. It's about what, what Borough do, especially at home. The onus is on Borough to go out and attack. And uh, you know, if you're worried about a rock-bottom team with a, a new manager, then that, that's a problem. We should go out there, forget that, and, and you know, shape the narrative ourselves. Thanks a lot, Vic, and thanks for listening.